You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. How many of you have ever bought a product and on the box it says, Some Assembly Required? And you get home and you realize that it really should say, All Assembly Required? That all of it has to be assembled. And I've put together toys and furniture products, and and I'm really convinced that some of the times the people who write the instructions that come with that product have never actually put together that product. Because the instructions that they're given seem to cover some things that, that don't match up. Or there seems to be a step or two that it's assumed, and I don't know what's going on. I feel like there's something that is missing from the instruction manual. I am thankful that God's Word, what I stand before you and preach from every week, that it has not missed anything. We believe that God's Word is sufficient for life. And there is no challenge, no issue, no topic in this world, old or current, that it does not cover. It may not use some of the same words that we use today. It may speak in language that seems archaic to us, but the principles and the truths of Scripture come down to exactly where you and I live. And what that means is that when I stand before you on a weekly basis, I don't have to come up with good ideas to talk to you about. It's all right here. I don't have to create something to speak to you about. God has already provided it. I just need to uncover that truth as it rests in His Word. And it also means that there are no topics that God sidesteps or that He avoids. Now, there are times that we kind of wish that He would, right? We wish that He would maybe softball a couple of those. And, but He charges at them. He tackles them, whether they're uncomfortable for us or not. And what we're going to look at today is just another example of God stepping into what might be a misconception and straighten it out. Not because it's popular, but because it is truth. And in John chapter 9, in the very first verse, we see that Jesus notices something. Verse 1 of chapter 9 says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, let's break down those phrases one at a time. As Jesus passed by, The Gospel of John, you could sit down and read it in a couple of hours, but it covers the life of Jesus for three and a half years. And so there's a lot of information that isn't covered. And chapter 8 ends with Jesus traveling, and it tells us here that he passes by. We don't know how much time has passed between the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. So it may have been a couple of weeks, it may have been a couple of months. Can't include it all. Can't tell the whole story, right? Some of you, you have friends and family that when they tell a story, they include every little point that you don't have to include, and you're like, get to the point, all right? And so John is making his way onto some very specific points, but here, the entire chapter, 41 verses, are all about this man that he notices in verse 1. And so John wants us to see everything that takes place in this man's life. Now, we won't be able to cover all 41 verses in our message today, so I encourage you to go back and read over this for yourself. But we're going to try to cover all of the big ideas that John has for us here. So as Jesus passed by, 
he saw a man. He noticed him. Now, what happens in verse 2 is the disciples ask Jesus a question about this man, but Jesus doesn't notice him because the disciples asked a question. Rather, Jesus notices him, and then the disciples, seeing that Jesus has taken note or has stopped and is looking at this man, then they ask this question. And the man that Jesus has noticed is someone who's been blind from birth. Someone who would not have been able in that culture, in that society, to have a job like someone who is blind today might be able to have. Most likely he spent his time begging. And he would have been somebody that people in culture would have overlooked. He would have been someone that in culture people would have just maybe dropped a few coins in his cup or in his plate as they went by, but they didn't really notice him. And it might be that you're here today and you can identify with being the black sheep of the family. That you've kind of been the one who's always been the outcast. Or you have been overlooked. Or you felt out of place. Or you've been the last one picked on a team. You've felt like you have been not seen. And people would have not seen this man. Just as people who struggle with disabilities are often unseen in our culture today, we tell our children don't stare at people that are different, and what happens is we teach them to not notice those around them that are different. We're afraid that we'll say the wrong thing, and so we don't say anything at all. And what many people who struggle with disabilities want is they just want to be seen and treated normally. And so here this man, they probably would have been overlooked by most, but Jesus sees him and steps into the story of his life. And if you were the black sheep of your family, or you have been overlooked, or you have not been noticed, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And we try to make sure that everyone who walks in the door feels welcome at our church, but even if we miss you, Jesus sees you. And not only does he see you, he knows you. Jesus would say that, that out in the forest, so in your mind's eye, picture a forest that is out there in the wilderness that you've never been to, and in that forest is a tree that you've never seen, and in that tree there is a small sparrow, a bird that before this moment you'd have no reason to have pictured them, and that sparrow falls from that tree. Jesus says that a sparrow in the forest cannot fall from a tree without him knowing. And so if Jesus has taken note of that bird He takes note of you. In fact, he says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows more about you than you know about you. Jesus sees you, and you're known. And then Jesus goes even beyond that because he tells us a story in Luke 15 that he says that I am like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and if one of those 100 sheep goes missing, I will leave the 99 in the fold, in the pen, and I will go searching for the one. If a shepherd has 100 sheep, he'll notice one missing. Listen, I've got two kids, and I'm doing good just to keep track of those two. Some of you are looking at me judgmental. I know that you've forgotten your kids' places, okay? (laughs) Jesus says, I will leave the 99 in the sheepfold, and I will go searching for that one. I will go searching for the lost lamb. I will call his name. I will find him and bring him back rejoicing. Not only does Jesus see you, not only does he know you, he's looking for you. He's calling for you. And for some of your family and friends, it might shock them to know that you're at church today, but it doesn't surprise God at all. He's been looking forward to this moment. He's been expecting you. He's been looking for you. So Jesus sees this man. 
And then the disciples ask a question that to us might seem strange, but it was very much born out of the philosophy and theology of that day. So look at verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, in that culture, when someone was born with a disability, they assumed that it must be the result of sin in the lives of the parents or sin in the child. That the child had somehow sinned in the womb, in utero, that had caused there to be some type of hiccup in their development, and that's what led to them being disabled. And they based this on the fact that there's an old story about two twins that were born, Jacob and Esau, and they wrestled in the womb. And that when they were born, God was hesitant and even harsh at times with Esau. And so they said the reason he was is because Esau was a sinner in the womb. There's also an old psalm that their, their ancestor and king David had written that he was conceived in iniquity. And so based on that, they decided, well, when people have this suffering from birth, it must be a sign that they had some personal sin in their lives, even in the womb, or they were conceived in sin, their parents were sinners, and so this suffering is a result of their sin. And there's a broad truth here that suffering is the result of sin, but personal suffering does not directly flow from personal sin. Here's what I mean. When God created the world, it was perfect. It was beautiful. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no heartache. And then man sinned. And that original sin in the garden caused what we refer to as the fall. And in the fall, we were broken. We became mortal. We became susceptible to disease. We became susceptible to disability. We became susceptible to loneliness and separation and all of this brokenness into the world. And so, in a sense, if there'd never been sin, there would not be suffering. But the fact that sin brought suffering into the world does not mean that what you're suffering right now is a result of your personal sin. Because what Scripture teaches us is that personal suffering does not necessarily flow from personal sin. The book of Job is all about a man who was incredibly righteous, was a man of integrity, and he suffered greatly. In Galatians 3, 4, 4, 13, Paul tells us about a time when because of his illness, God used that to bring him to a place where he could preach the gospel to the people in Galatia. He was doing the right thing on mission for God and got sick. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he talks about the fact that God allowed him to have a thorn in his flesh, this infirmity, this difficulty that he struggled with, and it wasn't because of his sin. And so what Scripture teaches us is that suffering is not the result of personal sin. So if you're struggling today or you're facing some adversity today, that does not mean that God is judging you. Now, there's definitely some suffering that it's the consequences of our choices. If you get up from church today, hop in your car, go down to the hucks at the corner, and you rob it, and the cops throw you in jail, you will suffer because of your choices. If you cut someone off, and they give you an obscene gesture, and then you pull over in front of them, and get out and challenge them, and they punch you in the face, it will hurt, and that will be the consequences of your poor choices. But if you go to the doctor and you find that you're sick, 
or you have someone betray you, that does not necessarily mean that you're experiencing that because you have sinned. Because you can be righteous, you can be innocent, you can have integrity, and still suffer adversity. And by the way, just kind of as an aside here, there are many people today, modern people today, who love the idea of karma. That this, this idea, born out of Hinduism, that karma will repay people who do wrong things. They like that idea because they like when somebody does me wrong, karma's going to get them. But if you really look at karma, I don't think that you'll like it so much. Because what karma teaches is that when someone does wrong to you, the reason that that's happening is because you did wrong in a previous life. And so all the things that have happened to you, all of the adversity that you have faced, it's punishment for your sin. And this also means that when a child is born with a disability, it's their fault for something they did in a previous life. When children live in poverty, it's the punishment for their previous lives. Travis Penn, who's a pastor in Indianapolis, he was recently in India, and he wanted to give some money to some children. And the guy said, what are you doing? That you're interrupting karma. Because in their mind, what they're suffering is the punishment for their previous sins. What Scripture teaches us is that there is suffering in the world because sin entered the world, but your personal suffering does not flow directly from your personal sin. And so your present suffering in this world is not the result of your past sin. And that's what Jesus answers them with here in verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, Jesus could have gone into a long lecture like I have tried to cover in a roundabout way here about original sin and suffering in the world. He could have talked about sin coming into the garden and now how there's just this general suffering and brokenness in the world. He could have talked about that, but what he says rather is he did not sin and his parents did not sin, but God is going to manifest or show his works through him. Jesus would use this moment to show his power and His grace. And so while present suffering does not flow directly from past sin, present suffering can be used for future grace and future glory. And so what you're facing right now, what you're suffering right now, what you're going through right now, it may or may not be the result of your sin in the past, but it can be used to show God's glory in the future. To show his purpose. And sometimes that looks like what it's going to look like for this man here as Jesus heals him of his blindness. And sometimes it looks like God sustaining us through that difficulty because Paul would pray that God would remove this thorn in the flesh and God would say, my grace is sufficient for you. He wouldn't fix what is broken, but he'd give Paul grace in the midst of it. Every one of the apostles, the disciples, they would end up dying for their faith, not because they were unrighteous, but because they were righteous. And their suffering in those moments was not because of their previous sin, but God would use it for future glory. And so if you're facing adversity right now, know that God will bring about glory and grace in your life, and it may look like healing, and it may not. It may look like God fixing what's broken, or it may be God sustaining you through that brokenness. 
And so Jesus says, I'm going I'm to show myself strong in him. And so Jesus has not only given us this theological truth about suffering and sin, Jesus then gives us this tidbit which comes in verse 4 in the second part. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to do for this man what I can while I'm here, but the day is coming when the night will be here and no man can work. And I think that Jesus is referring to the moment when he ascends into heaven and the disciples are awaiting the Spirit to fall fresh and begin the age of the church. And then there is coming the age when all of that is done. Because what we are in right now, though it has lasted 2,000 years, is the age of the church. This is the last chapter. If you were to lay out all of the history of mankind, all of the history since God created the world, we are in the final chapter. And we don't know how long this chapter is going to be. It could end tomorrow, or it could end a thousand years from now, but this is the final chapter. This is the day when God is working. But there is coming a day when no man can work. My father used to say, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. And what he meant by that is, while the weather is good, while it is daylight, you should be out in the field gathering the hay because there is coming a day when the rains will be here and you won't be able to get in the field. There is coming the night when you will have no light to go and work in the fields. So while it is light, while it is sunny, get out in the fields and work. And what Jesus is saying here is that I must make hay while the sun is shining. I must do the work of the Father who sent me while I have opportunity to do it. And the application for us here in this little tidbit that Jesus inserts in the story of this man's life and how he's healed is that you and I should be doing the Lord's work while it's day. While we have the opportunity. Before the night comes. Because the night is coming when no man can work. The moment is coming when all work will be ceased. The final judgment will come, and there will be no more work that can be done. That could be tomorrow. So what are we doing now? We should be making hay while the sun shines. We should be moved now. We need to work while we can. I have been reminded this week that there is monumental darkness all around us. And sometimes we get pretty good at not seeing it. But it's here. And the night is coming. And the moment will arrive where we can no longer work. There are people right now in this moment that tomorrow is their last day. There are people that today is their last opportunity to hear the message of gospel and grace. There are people that this week, they will overdose. There are people that this week, they will pass from this life to the next. The night will come and no more work will be done in their hearts, in their lives. Now is the opportunity. And for this reason, God says, today is the day of salvation because the night is coming. And there's coming a moment where we no longer have the opportunity to respond. So where is this urgency that should be in us? To make hay while the sun shines. To do the work of the Lord while we have opportunity. Before the night falls and there is no longer an opportunity to give that witness, to give that invitation, to share that message, to extend God's grace. What are we waiting for? 
I'm reminded of a song Brandon Heath wrote about 10 years ago now. He said, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. See, the irony of this chapter is that Jesus is going to provide sight to this man who is blind, but all around him are people who cannot see the great need that is before them. Because when the Pharisees hear what Jesus has done, they're not excited that a blind man can now see. They're upset about some technicalities. Look at verse 13. The people bring this blind man to the Pharisees. Jesus has healed him supernaturally given this man sight. He was born blind. Jesus has healed him. And they bring this man to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Verse 13 says, And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And there are two things in verse 14 that you need to notice. It was the Sabbath and no work was to be done on the Sabbath. Jesus said, the sun is shining. I got to make hay while the sun is shining. And they're saying, well, hold on. It's the Sabbath. I don't know that you can do that. The other thing that Jesus did is that when he healed this man of his blindness, he spit in some mud and mixed his saliva with some dirt and put it on the man's eyes. You say, why why would Jesus do that? Well, this is the God who made man out of the dust of the ground. And with his saliva, out of his breath, his mouth, he mixes it with some dirt. He places it on the man's eyes. The man washes the dirt off and he can see. But there were ceremonial laws that made anyone who had come in contact with the dirt unclean. Anyone who came in contact with saliva of another person unclean. And so Jesus has broken these ceremonial laws and he's broken the Sabbath laws and the people are upset because of these things. Look at verse 15. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And if you read all 41 verses, what you see is they ask this man or his parents four times, how, 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 how did Jesus restore your sight? Because they're blown away that Jesus would use his saliva and this dirt. You see what's happening? Jesus has given a man who was blind his sight, and they're upset about the manner in which he did it. They're upset about Jesus' methods. They're upset about the technicalities of how Jesus went about this. Jesus did this on the Sabbath, and he used spittle. And we got problems with the way you're doing this, Jesus. And instead of being excited that someone has been given sight, they're upset about the how. How, how, how. D.L. Moody was an evangelist, and he was known for being kind of the father of Sunday school. He would go into to cities, and he would hold these evangelistic events, and he would start Sunday schools. And in that day and age, Sunday school was a new idea that nobody had heard of. And there were some people that didn't like it. They didn't like what he was doing. And this lady came up to him after one of the services, and she was critical of his methods and the way that he was reaching people in the city. And this is what D.L. Moody asked her. He says, what is your plan? And like most critics, she had no plan, only criticism. And D.L. Moody said this to her. It is clear that you do not like my way of doing evangelism, and you raise some good points. 
Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. You see, Jesus is out here rescuing people, and they're upset about a technicality. And what happens is we get so caught up in talking about the how and talking about really someone should do something, but don't do it like that. Don't go about it that way that we never do anything. We never make any progress because all we do is we talk about the way that someone ought to make progress. And they want to challenge Jesus' authority, his authority on the way that he is doing these things. And I'll, I'll be honest, this frustrates me. Just reading this frustrates me. But John gives us a gift. Because in verses 23 through 35, John shows us that not only was this man born blind, but he was born with the spiritual gift of sarcasm. So look at that with me. The Pharisees are now asking this man's parents about it, and his parents say what they probably have often said about their son. He was born blind. You can talk to him. Ask him. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Verse 24, Then again they called the man that was blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. They're saying, You should should give God praise because we know this Jesus guy is not legit. He's a sinner. Verse 25, The blind man answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know. He goes, I don't know about that, guys, but this is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. I know that. Verse 26, Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? How did he do this? Verse 27, here's the sarcasm. He answered, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? He said, Are you wanting me to rehearse this again because you really want to become followers of Jesus? Is that the reason we're doing this again? And they don't like his sarcasm. They get upset. Verse 28, they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. He's saying, you're a follower of Jesus, but we're a follower of Moses. We're legitimate, you're not. Verse 29, we know that God spake unto Moses, for as this fellow we know not from where he is. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, yet he hath opened my eyes. He goes, you're supposed to know everything. You're the religious leaders, and you don't know who this guy is, but he's doing miracles. Wow. Wow. Verse 31, he continues, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? He says, this has never happened before in the history of the world. No one who has been born blind has been given the ability to see, but he has done it for me. If this man were not God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, and you'll hear that same theology come back again, Thou wast altogether born in sin, and dost thou teach us? He said, how dare you talk to us this way? You were born a sinner. You were born in sin. That's the reason you had that disability, and you're going to talk to us? And they cast him out. They're upset, and they throw him out. But look at verse 35. Because Jesus hears that he has been cast out, and he finds him. Jesus goes looking for him again and finds him. Jesus goes searching for him. 
Here the religious people have rejected him. They have thrown him out. They said, how dare you talk to us like that? Who do you think you are? And they throw him out and Jesus goes looking for him. He's been rejected again, but Jesus goes looking for him. Maybe you can identify with that. And Jesus goes and he talks to him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, I don't know who that is. And Jesus says, me. Do you believe in me? He says, yes, I believe. And he worships him. And then Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world. What Jesus is saying is that because I've come into this world to provide grace to those who are broken, grace to those who are sinners, grace to those that are hurting, it has been a judgment against those who don't want it. And the picture here is that Jesus has come in and tried to help, but these Pharisees have blocked him. They've pushed him away. And the picture here is like when your child scrapes his or her knee and you want to put some hydrogen peroxide on it to clean out the germs to make sure it doesn't get infected, and they fight you. And they think that they're protecting themselves from harm, but what they're really protecting are the germs. They're protecting what's going to make them sick. And the Pharisees here, they think that they're protecting themselves from Jesus, who they don't see as legitimate, but what they're really doing is they're protecting their arrogance and their pride and their sin. And they're fighting him and pushing him away. And when Jesus says this, some Pharisees overhear it, And with indignation, the Pharisees say in the final verses of this chapter, are you saying that we're blind? You're going to say we're blind? You're helping this man who was born blind, born in his his sin? He's been a sinner from his birth. We are righteous, upstanding people. We have done all the right things. He's been no good, second rate, from his birth. And you're going to call us blind? And Jesus says to them, because you claim you can see, you're without excuse. You're not blind. You're sinners. He's saying you'd be better off if you were blind. But worse than that, you can see and you're in your sin. You see, it would be better off to be physically blind and see Jesus than to have this ability to see, to have the gift of physical sight and miss him. And that's what they're doing here. They're missing Jesus. They don't see him. You know, it's amazing that I can look at that clock on the back wall and I can see that it's 550 and it's been 5.50 for the last seven years on that clock. (laughs) And so I can see that all the way in the back, but I can't see my hand right now, even though it's only six inches from my head, because it's in a blind spot. And it is so easy for us to see the imperfections and sins in people a mile away, but when it's in our own heart and life, it's in a blind spot, and we can't see it. We can't see it. And these Pharisees, in a man that they don't even really know, can deduce, they can determine, they're so certain of their judgment about something that is distant from them, but they can't see the sin in their own heart and life. 
And what Jesus says to them is he says, you would be better off not being able to see anything but being able to see your own sin, your own blind spots, your own brokenness. To see what is messed up in your own heart. Helen Keller said that the greatest tragedy is those with sight who refuse to see. They have the ability to see, but they refuse to see. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you know a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Because when we're wise in our own eyes, when we have self-righteousness and pride and arrogance, we do not see the blind spots in our own hearts and lives. We do not see the brokenness in our own life. This, this past week, I, uh, I left on Thursday morning and drove up to Wabash and preached to uh, high schoolers in Emmanuel Christian School. One of our sister churches has a Christian school, and I preached to their high schoolers on Thursday evening and then on Friday morning. And on my way back on Friday afternoon, I stopped at our sister church in Indianapolis and I gave them all of our vacation Bible school decorations that many of you had worked on, so it'll be used next year. And because I was taking those VBS decorations up, I needed a larger vehicle than my car, so I drove my wife's van. I never get to drive it, but I got to drive it on this trip. And it's the nicest car we have ever owned. Um, and it has a feature that we didn't even know it had until we had bought it and we were driving away with it, that when you turn on the right turn signal, on the dash there's a screen that shows a camera view of your blind spot. It shows you your blind spot. And so when you flip that blinker on, you can see, is there a car in the way? Is there something there that's dangerous? That was a feature I never even knew I needed. But man, it's great. The truth is that most of us live our lives completely unaware of what's in our blind spots. Unaware that how much we need Jesus. Unaware of the brokenness that is in our lives, the pride, the envy, the greed, the dishonesty, the hypocrisy that is in our own hearts because it's in a blind spot. And wherever you're at, whether you've lived for Jesus or not, whether you've come to church your whole life or not, everybody in here needs the Lord. And if you don't realize that, it's in a blind spot. And Jesus comes to you to say, there's this blind spot. I know you don't see it. Let me show you. And we can see that if we'll open our eyes. If we'll look to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? <clears throat>